This is Stephen Adams. And this is Kevin Dr- oh, sorry. <laughs> Kevin Durant. <laughs> You're Kevin Durant, mate. <laughs> good to see you, mate. Different complexion. Okay, let's go to you. <laughs> so, this is Stephen Adams. And this is Anna's Cantor. You're listening to the Down to Earth. Down to Dunk podcast. What? Down to, down to Dunk. Down to Dunk. I'll down say that. Dunk. Introduce yourself, mate. Here's Stephen Adams, and I'm Anna's Cantor. And you're listening to Down to Dunk podcast. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Down to Dunk Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Schlecht, and with me, Brett Dawson of NewsOK.com. Brett, how's it going? It's going great, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm good. Can't complain. Uh, so you've only been in Oklahoma City for a little while, and I want your impressions of the city itself. Like, what are your thoughts on it? What did you think about it before you moved here? And, like, now, what do you think? Yeah, so what I thought of it before I moved here was, like, almost literally nothing. I don't mean that in an insulting way. It's just, like, it's it's not a city that you think a whole lot about yeah. in terms of, like, you know, like, you think, of, before I moved to New Orleans, I had visited New Orleans. I knew what New Orleans was like, you know. Um, I'd never really been to Oklahoma City before uh, because I had, you know, the only other NBA job I'd ever had. I didn't travel a whole lot. I had come into the city one time. I have a really good friend who uh, went to med school at OU. And a few years ago, uh, we came to a game, came to a football game at OU. I saw them play Tulsa, I think. And we just flew into Oklahoma City, drove to Norman. And the next morning we, we flew back out. So I didn't really see any of the city. I think we kind of drove through Bricktown a little bit. Yeah. I had almost no impression of the city at all. And in terms of like, you know, in terms of like a, a place to live and work and stuff like that, I always thought like it'd probably be great. It'd probably be a really good market to get into because they care about the NBA a lot. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know much about it as a city. And then since I've gotten here, um, really, it reminds me quite a bit of um, of where I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. It's a similar kind of uh, size. It's a little bigger than Louisville, although it doesn't really feel bigger because Oklahoma City is a little bit more spread out than Louisville is. Right. And so Louisville, because it's more compact, actually feels a little bigger when you're just in the center of the city than Oklahoma City does. But they have some similar vibes. They're both, you know, uh, the people are incredibly nice here, probably nicer. There's some real jerks from Louisville. I'm one of them. Um, <laughs> like the, the people here, you know, somebody at my gym once described it to me as um, the people in Oklahoma City are so nice that it's like they're all trying to, you know, just to see who can be the most hospitable. Yeah. Um, and it, it is that way very much to me. Like people are, they go so out of their way to be nice to you that it's it almost makes me uncomfortable. I almost. I'm not nice enough to live here. <laughs> well, I guess that's good. That's that's a good thing to hang that's your hat nice. on. Yeah, it's very nice. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a thing Oklahoma City should be proud of. I yeah. think. <laughs> uh, what are your, what are your thoughts on this team? So I I kind of feel like they're in a spot that was pretty predictable. Like if you looked at the season and you kind of looked at their schedule and you're like, well, that's actually kind of their record right now is kind of a, you know, it's kind of nice. I, I don't know. I, I, some people probably expected a lot less of this team, but um, they said at 25 and 19, uh, they feels like they played forever ago. They lost to the Golden State Warriors, which was incredibly predictable uh, last Wednesday. But what are your what are your thoughts on where the team is right now, and then kind of where they're headed? Yeah, you know, I, I think they're pretty close to what I thought they were going to be. The schedule obviously was softer at the beginning than it is now. It's toughened up a little bit. I think. Um, you know, record-wise, I think I had them at 44 or 45 wins in the preseason, yeah. and that's you know that's not outrageous, and this, that's not outrageous now to think about. Um, you know, there were some stretches there where I thought maybe okay, like maybe they're a little better than I thought. 
Um, particularly, I thought like, oh, maybe they're a better perimeter shooting team than I thought they were going to be, and that's that's leveled out somewhat. They're still, yeah. you know, they're okay. Um, I, but I, I think on the on balance, they're about what I thought they were going to be, which was, you know, that that Russell Westbrook would scorch the earth, and everybody else would be good enough around him that they would keep their heads above water. And to this point, that's happened. The schedule is still tough. It's going to stay tough. Um, you know, through, through the All Star break, it's it's pretty tough. And I was trying to find today actually. For my own purposes, I was trying to find a, a breakdown of the schedule going forward and, you know, what the plus 500 and sub 500 and home and road breakdown is. And the NBA page that I always use for that is gone. And so I haven't done that yet, but I, that's something I kind of want to look at and see where they are. But just kind of looking ahead to the all-star break, it's going to stay pretty tough. And, you know, th- they have a backloaded schedule because they're kind of a TV matchup kind of team. And so you get to this point where they haven't played Cleveland yet and that's coming and they haven't played San Antonio yet and that's coming and they still have two left with the Warriors uh, that are good TV games. And so, you know, now that the, the, I think the sports world kind of turns its eyes to the NBA, you'll see a little bit more kind of premier matchups for them. I want to pause real quick to tell you about our newest sponsor, Chicken Express incredible chicken their chicken strips are so so good if you like chicken strips this is the place to be uh, right now their current deal is 15 tenders for $11.50 you can't beat that uh, go pick that up tonight you can pick it up at two new locations for chicken express 150th and Penn in edmund and 10th and garth brooks in yukon incredible locations wash it all down with a sweet tea it's freaking delicious go get yourself some chicken express today and uh, enjoy. Now back to some more hoop stock with Brett Dawson. Yeah, and I mean they've been on this road heavy month. They only had three, I think it's just three home games in the month of January, and that's almost over. And then when they get to February, they only have two road games the whole month, which is super nice. And they get a nice long All Star break, uh, which will also be great for them. But yeah, there there's some tough games in there, but they should be able to kind of make up some ground on on what they lost in January. Uh, the Thunder are without Steven Adams. No word yet on if he's playing tonight, right? No word yet. They they had moved shoot around up, and so I actually thought we would hear something by now. Eric Horn is in Salt Lake today. Uh, January, you mentioned January, so crazy that we are we, we normally do our travel by month. So like Eric did November, I did December. Um, Eric will do February. I'll do March. He'll do April. But January is so insane that we actually split it down the middle. So he did the first four, then I did four, then he did two, and I do two. So uh, he's on the road right now, and I, I know that at some point um, they were going to shoot around, and I thought they had moved shoot around up a little earlier, and so I thought maybe we would hear something by now, but uh, I'm looking at Eric's Twitter page right now, so we have not heard anything at this okay. point. You can break news on the pod if you want yeah. uh, later on. Uh, It'll so be hours after it happens when people hear it, but still, that'll be that's fun. right. <laughs> Uh, so you get Cleveland, San Antonio. I guess that's pretty exciting to be on the road for those two. It is. I think like uh, San Antonio is is much like Oklahoma City for me. I went there one time in my life. I was a little kid. It was like one of those sort of educational vacations. Yeah. My parents took us on, and I, like we hated it. My brother and I just hated it. Um, and so, uh, like, I'm sure it's much better than I remember it being because I was yeah. a kid who just like wanted to go to the beach or something and didn't want to be learning. <laughs> Um, but and like Cleveland is, is, you know, it's Cleveland. So I've been telling people, Eric, on this last leg of the month, Eric got the much better cities, in my opinion. Salt Lake's pretty cool, like cooler than you sort of think it is. And New Orleans, I live there and it's awesome. Um, but yeah, I'll, I, I, I got the better deal, uh, better end of the deal on games this time. How do you think that Oklahoma City matches up with San Antonio? Because we haven't we haven't seen them play them yet, 
And I still think that Oklahoma City still matches up with them pretty well because they usually play two traditional bigs, and the Thunder play really well against those type of teams. Uh, they obviously don't have the perimeter guys to, to go up against San Antonio's, but what do, what do you think about that matchup? Yeah, that's the thing, right? Eric and I have talked about this several times in, in that, like, on paper you would think it's still a pretty good matchup because it's a good matchup for Canner typically, and good matchups for Canner I think, are good matchups for them. When you can play Canner a lot and feel comfortable having him out there, he's just such a boost to your offense. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great thing to be able to do. But, you know, the, the thing that sort of hangs over you there is, like, it all worked with Kevin Durant. And so, sure. like, yeah. you know, probably heard that he's not here anymore, and it's, you know, it's, like, sort of been a storyline that they and he's a guy who can score a lot of points. So, um, but like, yeah, they, 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 you know, we don't know what that looks like, but we do know, look, they match up well. They've matched up well with some pretty good teams. The, the, the Clippers thing has been very odd because they got two blowouts. Yeah. You know, each team has a blowout against a, a team missing a little bit. But, you know, when they've been pretty healthy, they've played pretty close games. And obviously they match up extremely well with Houston. Those have been great games. Um, and, and I think they're going to end up matching up pretty well with San Antonio. But I am fascinated to see that. Um, because like I, I haven't, I hadn't watched a ton of San Antonio. I think we talked about this on our podcast maybe last week that I watched San Antonio play the Warriors and then somehow just lost track of San Antonio and didn't watch them again until really like really watched them until Saturday against Cleveland. And they're awesome. So, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see how that matchup looks, but I, I do think it's probably going to be good just for those reasons. I just think, I think they're going to be able to play canner and I think that's good for them. Yeah. They're just under the radar, and I think some of it has to do with like their stars are just so quiet. Like you never hear anything from them. There's no controversy. Like they're just playing good defense, and they're you know scoring the ball efficiently, and that's pretty boring, I guess. So like nobody really, nobody really. I don't feel like I really know this Spurs team either, just because it's not a national story. Yeah, and that's you know like people always talk about that with San Antonio, like all oh, the you know it's a small market or whatever, but it's not really the market. It is more who the guys have been like Tony Parker in a bigger market probably would have been a bigger star. Mm-hmm. Cause I think he does have a, a little bit more of a personality, but Kawhi is like a robot. Kawhi probably is very happy to be in a place like San Antonio where people don't really talk about him. He's yeah. great. He's such a good player. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it, it's the combination of those personalities they've had guys like Duncan, uh, and, and Kawhi guys like that in that city. Yeah. They're just, they're just not guys that make a lot of waves. Yeah. The, the thunder in Utah tonight, and they got stomped the last time they played the Jazz. Uh, Rodney Hood was playing that night. He's not playing tonight. Uh, but George Hill is back. And they're on a six-game win streak. They're like maybe like the fourth or fifth best team in the league whenever George Hill plays. He's yeah. been phenomenal. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you think of the matchup tonight? I don't think I give them great odds to win, especially if Adams doesn't play. But what are your, what are your thoughts on tonight's matchup? Yeah, I, they don't have a great chance. I don't think if, if Adams doesn't play, they, they they should play better because I think that was the second night of a back-to-back. If they'd been in Portland the night before. Yeah. I know they came from Portland, mm-hmm. and I think it was straight from Portland, if I'm not mistaken. I was on that trip, and I it's all a blur. But um, they also didn't have Oladipo, which is, you know, that's a pretty significant thing against a, a team, especially a team as, as good defensively uh, as Utah that puts such a premium on scoring. Um, I think it'll help them a lot to have Oladipo. Now, how he'll play and, and how much hood impacts them, th- those are all big questions. Um, but I just think on for them to play better, they won't be – I mean, they're coming off an incredible rarity with four days of rest in the NBA at this stage of the season. It's pretty amazing. I think this is the only time they get four days. I'm not 100% sure of that. Um, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a great luxury to have. Um, so I would expect and, – and look, that can work the other way too sometimes. Like too much rest can be a bad thing and four – is a little out of rhythm for an NBA 
periodical number of days. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe that has an impact too. And, and there's altitude, which, you know, Billy Donovan says they don't really think of as a factor, but I, I would expect them to play better. I just think if they don't have Adams, uh, it's 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 going to be a very difficult challenge for them because Utah A is very good at home and, and Utah B, as you said, is really good and they're really good when George Hill plays. Um, and so you know it's it's a tough place to go in and win for anybody. It certainly would be very tough as we've seen we've seen this in the preseason and we've seen it now in the season. Uh, the, the defense it doesn't utterly fall apart without Stephen Adams, but it, he's a huge part of what they do in terms of getting guys aligned the right way. Uh, you know, in terms of sort of, you know, uh, I, I, don't, I don't like the phrase, but sort of quarterbacking the defense. He sees things mm-hmm. and directs traffic a lot. And, and they are not a good defensive team without Adams. They, they have not without Adams at this point. Right. And Adams is a big irritant to Gobert. Like, at least he has been in the past. Yeah. Uh, just because he's just, uh, he's just a like thicker dude. And he can, you know, body him up. And Gobert has, has trouble with guys like that. Uh, he hasn't really had as much trouble this year. He's taken a leap. Uh, he's been awesome, but for sure the uh, the Cantor Gobert is uh, that's not a favorable matchup for OKC. And you were right about the four days of rest. This is the only I think they have no more than two days of rest in between games the rest of the way besides the All Star break. So yeah, this is kind of a a weird stretch. Uh, we touched on Oladipo playing tonight. He, he's had. He's had a good season. Like, I don't think he's been bad, but he's definitely, a lot of his stats are down. Like, a lot of his defensive numbers are down. Uh, the only thing that's up is his three-point shooting. And it's really been kind of interesting season for him. So, in 35 games, he's attempted 201 threes. Last season, in 72 games, he attempted 282 total. Uh, so, he's taking a ton more threes. He's hitting them at a, at the best rate of his career at 37%. Uh, but his steals are down, his blocks are down, his assists are down, his usage rate is down. Uh, he's he's just had kind of a strange season. I feel like he's kind of adjusting his game to fit with Russ, and it's yeah. it's taking him a while. But what are your what are your thoughts on his season? Yeah, I you know I still think in a in a perfect world there's like an alternate universe where Kevin Durant is here. And they got, you know, maybe they got Al Horford or whatever, like sort of their dream offseason scenario. And Oladipo is kind of leading that second unit and he's doing all the same stuff that he always did in his career. So he's attacking, he's slashing, you know, he's 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 on the point uh, defensively. Um, And and obviously that's not the scenario anymore. That's not the, the kind of team that they have. And so he is sharing the court a lot with Russ. And if you look at his numbers and I haven't done this in a little while. But but as as recently as like right around the time he he went out with the injury and I don't know that I've checked this a whole lot since he went back since he came back, but uh, you look at his numbers his three point shooting it was an astronomical difference. If you look at his three point shooting at, on with Westbrook's on off, he's a much much better shooter with Russ on the floor. At one point you know deep into the season, I think he had not attempted. I remember when he did it for the first time. He attempted his first corner three with Russ off the court. Yeah. Um, and he went a long time without doing that, and yet he was shooting a lot of them and making them at a very good clip. And that was because Russ gets you so many. He just creates so many of those, and it's because of the way Oladipo's playing. He's just playing off the ball. Russ is out. He's got the ball maybe a little bit more. He's probing the defense maybe a little bit more, doing kind of some of the stuff he did in Orlando where he really was a he was a combo guard in Orlando. He did – you know, uh, he, he, he did play point. He started some games at point guard for them. Um, and so, you know, they, they kind of would interchange him a little bit there. And, and, and I think the, the thought was that he would do some of those things here. But it is hard with Westbrook on the floor because Westbrook's going to dominate the ball. And that's the way it should be. That's, they're much better that way. 
Um, but I, I think in their perfect world, they find a way to sort of, uh, you know, stagger those guys a little bit more. The trick is that offensively they're so limited in that starting five that it's hard to do that. Um, but I think that's what they would like to do because I, I do think he's not showing all of his strengths. The three point shooting is great and it's much improved and, and credit to him for that. Uh, but also credit to Russ for what he gets out of it. But, you know, you're not seeing all the things, you know, I expected for, from my standpoint coming in and I had seen Oladipo probably like a lot of people, you know, I'd seen some and hadn't watched him closely because who watched Orlando closely. Um, but I, I think I expected him to be a little more dynamic than he's been a little more explosive. He had that crazy dunk in Atlanta. I remember the baseline dunk mm-hmm. in Atlanta and, and Russ uh, said after the game, like it was about time. It was about time he made that play. And that's kind of how I felt about him a lot. I thought we were going to see a little bit more of that kind of stuff uh, than we have at this point. Yeah. He hasn't, he hasn't been all that aggressive. I mean, he's taken for his career. He t- has taken like 20, 20, it's like 7% of his shots have come from three-point range. This season, 41% of yeah. his shots have come from there. He seems to be kind of a like glorified, like a 3 and D kind of guy, and which is great. Yeah. Like the Thunder need a 3 and D guy, but when that 3 and D guy can also like handle and get on the pick and roll and he can slash and he can get to the bucket and he's not doing all those things, it's kind of, you kind of just feel like you're left wanting more. Like he's not Kent Bazemore. Like he's better than Kent Bazemore. Like he can, he can take control of a game. And we saw him do that. Like he always played well against Oklahoma City. And last season, the beginning of the season yeah. was the, one of the best, you know, games of the season with Oladipo going off. Uh, and we haven't really seen much of that. And so he, he's really just, I know that he can be better, which I guess is good for this team, but you just wonder when that's going to happen. Yeah, and some of it is by design, but also like Billy Donovan has said, some, it's a, there, are, there have been times where they very clearly think he's settling, that he's taken some threes where he could do some other things. Um, and so I don't think it's just that adjustment of playing with Westbrook. I think there's some other things uh, at play there sometimes. And, and I think he's gotten better over the course of the year. His shot selection at the beginning of the year was really questionable. I think he's gotten much better about that. But I still think they feel like he settles on the on the perimeter a little bit. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll, we'll see a little bit more from him. And especially if Adams doesn't play, they're going to need more from him. Uh, Steven Adams has become incredibly important, not just to the defense that we mentioned earlier, but the offense. He's number one uh, among all centers in fast break points in the month of January when he has played. And I think that's been like a big part of his game that the Thunder have started utilizing. Uh, I feel like since his hand healed, he has like these post moves and he's got really soft touch. Uh, what do you, what do you kind of see his potential as? Cause I, uh, John Hamm and I pegged him as like a top 10 type center right now. Uh, do you think that he could be top five? Do you think that he uh, can expand his role? What are your what are your thoughts on the potential of Stephen Adams? Yeah, I think he's got some real potential to improve offensively. Still, I, I, I um, look first what he's doing now. They like about what they've done. They've done this this thing, and it, it helps that fast break points number where he runs the floor so hard, and Westbrook will kind of throw him. It's almost an outlet pass and almost an entry pass. Mm-hmm. It's like a super early post position. He runs down the floor. He gets, you know, he beats his guy down there, and then and then Westbrook makes kind of a long pass that it amounts to an entry pass to him. I love when they do that. That's a really effective way for them to because obviously when they get when they have to go up against set half court defenses, they have some limitations. Yeah. So it's really smart for them to look for all those opportunities, and that's been a great way to kind of get him involved. I think he's got potential still for growth as an as an offensive player, as a pick and roll guy. Um, and then I, you know, I'm going to just I will keep saying it. I think he'll be a three point shooter someday. I think he'll make threes. I don't think he's going to take a ton. He's not going to be a high-volume three-point shooter, but he's got a nice jump shot. You see it in practice. 
Uh, he's got nice touch on it. You look at the improvement he's made in his free throws. I think he's going to make some similar improvements over the course of time as a shooter. I don't know. He is uh, very hung up on team, uh, not just team offense, but team efficiency. I don't think he's going to take long twos a whole lot. I don't think he views that as a valuable shot for them. But someday when he's going to do that, um, you know, we'll see, you know, how does that fit within the framework of their offense? How much uh, would they want him to do it once he gets comfortable doing it? It may not be. I don't know when it'll be. I just think it's going to happen at some point. Um, I don't think top five is a crazy ceiling thought for him just because he is so offensively uh, that if he can turn into some kind of weapon and, and, and he, I don't think he has to be a dramatically better offensive weapon than he is now. I think the difference is, though, that, you know, even to if the league was what it was two years ago. Uh, it wouldn't. He would not look very far from being a top five center. The the position is changing so much that you know is is Porzingis a center? Is Towns a center? Mm-hmm. If those guys are centers, you know th- those guys are ahead of him for the long haul. Is Anthony Davis playing center ultimately? Is that his position? Um, so so top five and top ten might be a little bit arbitrary and a little bit weird, you know, because the the definition of that position changes. Um, but I think he's got a chance to be. Uh, um, still a uh, relatively significantly better player than he is at this point offensively yeah i agree and if and you you hit it that even if he doesn't like end up as like a top five guy because like you have like towns porzingis Embiid, uh miles turner like all these guys that are just incredibly dynamic that could like possibly be like carry a team on offense um it doesn't mean that like adams is like not significant to the thunder and is probably still not the second best player uh yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And I, I like one of the things that they've been doing with him to get him on the fast break is that when he and Cantor are in the game together, he'll run out there and he'll contest a shot. And instead of looking toward the basket, he just will run up the court. Yeah. And he got Wilson Chandler pretty good uh, on one of those when they played Denver. And I thought, I just think that that's really interesting and a really smart way uh, to manufacture fast break points because the Thunder need it so badly. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, any way that they can score in transition, any any potential way. Some of these, you've seen some plays where, where Ennis Canner gets out now a little bit more, uh, and he's gotten some fast break points um, for them. I, I think any way they generate that stuff is so, so critical. And anytime they, you know, at the beginning of the year, we saw a whole bunch of the hit ahead to Robertson. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen a little bit less of that lately, but it's still something they try for. I think Westbrook... From my perspective, as, as somebody who watched him from the outside and now is watching him up close, I, I think you've seen him improve at that. I think he's better. Uh, he's a better outlet passer. Uh, he's just better at kind of uh, uh, looking ahead on the going hit ahead, even than he's been in the past. Yep, no question. Uh, let's do a couple Twitter questions. I think this is kind of interesting. I think some people have, have brought this up, and I kind of have a clear answer for this, but I want to hear what you think. Uh, so this is from at that true talk if the only goal is winning a championship are the thunder better off parting ways with russ and completely rebuilding so i don't know um and my whole philosophy on this has always been that like to win a championship you have to have at least a guy one guy like russell westbrook and so i think when you have that guy you don't get rid of that guy uh if you have the opportunity to lock that guy up long term you do it and then you figure out what you're doing from there. But but if you blow it up around Westbrook, the whole goal is to get another guy like Westbrook, a guy who is an elite player, a guy who is comfortable here, who, who very well might commit to being here for the very long haul. Um, and and to me, you don't deal that guy in this market. That that's that's 
my pretty firm take on it, and I'm open to you know other people's viewpoints on it. But to me, I don't think it's the right way to go. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, just because the draft can be just a crapshoot, like you just don't know. Like, what if you're the number two pick in the draft, and Michael Beasley's sitting there, and he's this undeniable college talent, this guy that you know broke, smashed all these records. He can do everything on the court offensively. And you think he's a slam dunk and you get him on your team to be like the piece and then like, oh, he's not showing up to practice and he's not in shape and like, what's going on with this guy? Uh, you just don't know. Like even, even a guy like that who seemed like a slam dunk at the time, like, I don't know. And Presti has been great with the draft, but he's also the guy that drafted Mitch McGarry. Um, and that scares me a little bit because, you know, he hit on Westbrook, uh, Durant, Westbrook and Harden and he hit on lots of others too. But, Ibaka. Yeah. Ibaka was a hit. Ibaka was insane. Uh, Reggie Jackson was a great pick. Uh, but but I just don't – I would rather lean on what you can for sure have than, like, what you could potentially have because it's not always the best thing. Yeah, the other thing about the draft is, like, even if you're good at drafting and even if you make smart decisions, like, you can run into a draft like 2013 where the top is so weak. Yep. Um, and, and then, you know, the lottery pick that you sort of bottomed out for – you know, what if what that nets you is, I mean, Anthony Bennett is an extreme example in that draft, but even up very high in that draft, Oladipo is not a franchise changer. Nerlens Noel is not a guy that changes your franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so if, if you're in a situation where you don't, you're not in the lottery for a long period of time and you only get one or two shots at it, it's hard to take in Philly to hit on the right thing. And, and you know, it may work out for Philly in the long haul, and it may not, by the way. This still may not work in the long term for Philadelphia because we don't know what's going to happen going forward. We don't know what will happen with their health, all that sort of thing. It's, it's on a nice trajectory now, but look how long it took to get to this trajectory. And I think it's another thing I think you really have to consider about Oklahoma City is just, you know, I, I'm not saying the patience isn't there, but but we don't know if it's there for a cratering and a rebound in a market this size that hasn't had the league for a long period of time, mm-hmm. you know, in the grand scheme of things, this is not, this is a new franchise in the grand scheme of the, and how does, how does the city absorb a situation like that where you, you say, okay, we're going to move on from Westbrook. We're going to start over and, and we're going to do that understanding that this is going to take some time. How's the fan base go along with that? We don't know. Yeah. I, it's a, it's a tough one. Cause I mean, I really like the job that Sam Presti has done. And I, I think that you know you hit it at the beginning of the of your answer that the Thunder like they have Russ and you have like a ton of young pieces. They're the second youngest team in the league. They have ten guys under twenty five on their team. Uh, let these guys develop, and if they become great trade chips, awesome. If they become a part of your core, great. But uh, the NBA changes fast. Teams change very fast. And, you know, this team right now, uh, it leaves a lot to be desired. They don't fit great together. They're still a good team, but they're not anywhere close to a great team. But uh, turnover happens quickly. Uh, and, you know, here in two years, who knows what, what Russ has around him. Uh, it could be a lot better or it could go the other way. But you just, I don't know. I, I think you sit back and you trust Sam Presti and uh, see what he can do with this roster at this point. Yeah, I- I'm really interested in that too. I think, you know, if you look at, you know, just take Oladipo, for example. Oladipo's a really good player. I think he fits well with what they're trying to do. But he's also now on a contract that's very tradable. I mean, that, you know, that's a deal that 
there are a lot of people who would take Victor Oladipo at that number. And so who knows what you do? I mean, this is a team, it's a team that was built to have Kevin Durant on it and it doesn't. And so uh, it's going to have to change going forward. This is not the roster they wanted. This isn't, you know, I think that's the thing you always have to keep in mind with the Thunder is this isn't where they want it to be. This isn't the team they set out to build. This is what they have left over. And, and if you look at the bigger picture of the NBA, what they're doing is kind of remarkable because they lost a top five, probably top three player in the league for nothing. And, and almost nobody recovers from that. They had the luxury of a second star. That's a great fallback to have. Very few teams have that. You know, Very few teams have that second elite guy. But this is hard to do, to lose a player of that magnitude and not get anything back and be reworking on the fly and still be a playoff team at this stage. Is, is, uh, it's an impressive thing at this point. Yeah, no question. I don't really have an answer for this, and I wonder if you do. So Sam Presti seems to be collecting these big guys that are like mostly offensively focused, uh, uh, Joffrey and Cantor and Sabonis is that to a degree. Uh, it, it seems like a player that people don't really want right now. Like there's a lot of those guys that would be available on the market that they don't, there's no market for these guys. Uh, what do you think his angle is on, you know, bringing these guys into the Thunder? I, you know, I don't know a great answer for that either. One of the things I've always been sort of intrigued by with them is, uh, this notion of so like and and bear in mind that two years ago I was covering college sports so this this might be a little bit of a leap for people who don't follow it as closely but like <laughs> like I, I think in some ways of like Wisconsin football which became like this big powerhouse by by quite literally zigging when everybody else zagged so everybody went spread everybody went you know uh, uh, with, with the sort of no huddle and this the spread offense stuff the hurry up and they went real big and battered people and nobody was really able to contend with it. Now you get to the highest level and everybody could beat them. Everybody who had the, the highest level athletes, they never won a national championship doing that at Wisconsin. But it, it sort of fascinated me that what they did, okay, that everything is going this direction. So we're going to veer and go the other direction, which is sort of how, you know, it's how innovation happens. That's how football got to the spread in the first place was, you know, everybody's big and powerful. Let's be fast and, and smaller. Um, and so, you know, the, like there's this, among some people that this is a you know ahead of the curve this is the way the game you know this is the way to sort of uh, carve out a niche and give people matchup problems i'm not sure that it is though because i just think that that offensively those smaller teams that spread you out and score um i, I just think that advantage is greater than the one you get by being bigger than them on the other end mm-hmm. um and so you know like because the, the three-point shot is such a factor there and all that kind of stuff so i i love the idea of that I, i'm intrigued by the thought of it um, but I don't know that I think the execution of it is realistic, and, and I, I certainly don't think that the, the Thunder is using uh, using it that way at this point, I guess. Yeah, uh, and with a guy like Jeremy Grant, I really like his talent. I think he's awesome, but I, I don't understand them playing him anywhere but the four. Uh, I don't like the lineups that he plays at yeah. three. I know yeah. his shot Same. has been pretty good. Uh, his three-point shot I still don't know when I'm supposed to believe that he's a three-point shooter because like he's been really good up to this point I think he's still above 40 percent today uh, I don't know that I that I really believe it uh, but I and I also believe for sure that his the value of that shot is increased uh, more if he's playing for but um, I don't know I don't think they have any long-term do you agree that they don't have any long-term solutions at the three Currently, I think that most of their guys either should be playing four more or they're just not a long-term solution, at least alongside Russ. Yeah, I would agree with that. The stuff you said about Grant is is almost exactly what I think about Grant, which is, one, I think that the regression started to happen a little bit, and then he's recovered 
a little bit from that regression to get back above 40. And I agree that I, I don't think that long term he's a 40 percent three point shooter. I don't, I don't really think Sabonis is either. And we've seen that kind of happen. Yeah. Uh, Sabonis may get closer to that. But Grant at 34 or 35 is still really valuable. Uh, I think as a guy who can play all those different positions and can do so many things defensively. But I still think if you just look at the landscape of the league, he's just so much better suited to be playing the four and even some five, which they've done a little bit in mm-hmm. bits and pieces with him. It's I, I just think he's, you know, those are the kind you need guys that guard the very, very versatile offensive guys who play those positions. Um, and, and I don't think he's a guy, you know, somebody asked me in this, uh, I did a chat today and somebody asked, you know, that I think that they could, if they moved him to the three, they could start him and then start Canner. Uh, and no, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't like that he, at all. Yeah. He's not a perimeter guy. And, and no. like they were saying, like by adding that additional shooter, wouldn't that take some pressure off Russell? And, and the, the counterpoint to that, the real obvious counterpoint is A, no. But, but B, like <laughs> where, you, where, you, where, the, where you really take pressure off Westbrook is with what Robertson does defensively. Sure. Yeah. That allows. Westbrook to have so many options in terms of who he guards and to not have to guard the guy who has the ball in his hands and is the best offensive player. He doesn't have to do that all the time. That is what makes life a little bit easier for Westbrook. Now, they need more offense. They need more offense from that position. They need better offense from Robertson's spot. There's no question. Again, the team built to have a scoring wing, uh, and they don't really have it right now. Um, but, but Grant is not the answer there because he can't, you know, like you can't have him have stretches where he's guarding Chris Paul. Um, and then also guarding Carmelo Anthony and doing the work that, you know, that we've seen Robertson do on James Harden. Like that's, I like Grant a lot. I think he's a really valuable piece to have. And I think that was a very smart trade given the way this roster is constructed. Like mm-hmm. Ilya was really redundant. They had to do something. Yes. And I think that, that Grant's a really good piece to get out of that. Um, but, but a starting three in the NBA, no, no, uh-uh. <laughs> no chance. Uh, I have no idea what Sam Presti should do with Robertson. I think I flip flop like every day on what I think should happen. Like, they, should they resign him? Should they bring him back? Uh, I, like you've mentioned, he is he is maybe the best perimeter defender in the NBA today that can defend like these elite guys. Like, he is probably the best guy on Harden in the league, uh, and he's also one of the best guys on Carmelo Anthony. Like, he's super active. He's really smart. He like knows all the reads. Uh, he's very solid. And also, I don't know if this team can maximize what they have with Russell Westbrook and him be the wing uh, that sits out there on offense. So I don't know what to I don't know what to do with him because I think that he can make a lot of money this summer. But if you lock yourself into this team, you know, barring a trade, is that the best thing? I, I really don't know. What are your What are your thoughts on what they should do with Robertson? Yeah, I'm similarly conflicted. People ask me all the time, like, what are they going to do with him? And I, I tell them, A, I can't tell you what they're thinking. Like, I can't, I can't tell you where Presley's head is because, you know, Presley's not real forthcoming on that kind of stuff. And B, I can't tell you what they should do either because, you know, he is – I want to say first because I get this in my chats all the time and I get people who say this to me on Twitter or whatever. Like, like a guy scoring a bunch of points does not mean Andre Robertson is a bad defender. And people who <laughs> yeah. say that sort of stuff need to reevaluate the way they watch basketball because I, I, I have people give me, like, numbers. Well, this guy scored this point. Score on everybody. 
They score on literally everybody in the NBA. The guy he, the guys he guards are the best scorers in the best league in the world, and so they're going to score points. So you know what he does is he makes shots difficult for those guys. He does so many things by himself without help. All these things help out a team defense in ways that people aren't paying attention to when they say, "Well, this guy scored thirty, so Robertson's a bad right. defender." Like, shut up, stop it. Yeah, but. He is, if you watch the, I mean, and I'm sure you did, everybody who listened to this did, you watch the Golden State game, they're just giving so much space. It's such an immense amount of space offensively, um, and, and that's that's bad. I mean, it's just bad for you to have a guy who's getting that kind of space and is not fully comfortable taking those shots, and he'll take some of them, but he's passing some open shots now, too. He's, he's passing up some open three-pointers, mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, I covered a guy last year in Alvin Gentry, a head coach who always said, like, if you got the space, you got to take it. I don't care if you make it. You have to take those shots. That's that's what happens in the offense. And I'm kind of a believer in that. He's got to take some of those. But I understand, you know, that it's not always the best shot for the Thunder for him to be taking a three, no matter how much space they're given. And, and I also understand that that's the thing defenses are going to continue to do is dare him to do something offensively. So, you know, he is he has such great value as a defender. Um, uh, but I think you have to make some decisions about what you want to be going forward and, and what you want to do at that position in terms of finding some kind of way to generate some offense. And, 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 and I don't know that he's, I don't know that he is, he's not a long-term solution offensively. He's not going to be a guy who makes big giant strides as an offensive player. And so that makes the decision really, really difficult. You know, th- those guys are not easy to find and they don't typically get overpaid. Although in this day and age, it happens occasionally. Solomon Hill got overpaid for his defense. And yes. so, like, somebody might be willing to pay a lot of money. Yeah, I totally agree with pretty much everything you said. And it just makes it very confusing. And I don't envy Sam Presti uh, with the choice he has to make this summer on Robertson. Uh, Brett, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Uh, can you tell everybody where to follow you on Twitter? Um, of course, we can follow you on newsok.com and read your stuff. But uh, tell us where we can follow you on Twitter. Yeah, it's uh, B. Dawson writes, W-R-I-T-E-S, on Twitter, and uh, I'm there a lot. Awesome. Loved your coverage so far this season, and we'll look forward to uh, the rest of the season and watch the Thunder tonight in Utah. Hopefully uh, Adams can play. No word on that yet, Brent. Heard from uh, Utah that I can see. Um, yeah, nope, still no word. Okay, cool. Uh, thanks, Brett, and we will talk to you later. All right, thanks, Andrew.